You're listening to episode 29 of the Becoming Aligned podcast. Welcome to Becoming Aligned, where we'll step away from the busyness of our days to explore what it looks and feels like to create meaningful lives that align with our personal values. My guests have found their own unique way to navigate through the distractions, the pressures, and the expectations of everyday life. And in the process, they've discovered the freedom to be truly themselves, to tune into their own heart, and to honor their own unique voice. I'll explore what motivates them, what challenges them, and what strategies help them work towards their goal in a way that nourishes their mind and body. I believe everyone has a story to share, and then we become a stronger community when we're able to listen and learn from those around us. I'm your host, Maureen Ryan, the founder of Ryan Wellness. I'm a Chicago-based self-discovery mentor and Pilates instructor. I hope these conversations will serve as inspiration and as a reminder that it's not about perfection, but the process of becoming aligned. In this episode, I talked to Teresa Vandermeer. She is the founder of Work Shelter, an ethical factory in India that employs women in need. While this is now her full-time job, she started Work Shelter as her passion project slash side hustle seven and a half years ago, and they now employ almost 40 women, which I find very, very impressive, considering all that she had to navigate to make it happen. I was so impressed with Teresa for her vision and her persistence. She believes business can be a vehicle for good and is actively working to make that true within her company. She is truly an activist entrepreneur. But as you can imagine, she has faced challenges along the way. It was so interesting to hear her journey and how she's handled the ups and downs. She also shares some really helpful thoughts on how to be a conscious consumer, which I know I personally appreciated, and I think you will as well. And we talk about how she takes care of herself in order to prevent burnout and the pull to be a workaholic. She has some great resources to share, and I know these are things I also work on myself. So I think many of us will be able to identify with a uh, with need to take care of ourselves in this way. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Teresa Vandermeer. Without further ado, here she is. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for joining me on the Becoming Aligned podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Me too. Yay. All right. We had a chance to meet recently, and I had an opportunity to learn a little bit about you and your business and just your overall story. But I knew right then and there that I wanted to sit down with you and learn more about your story and kind of the behind the scenes that we don't always get to see as someone's kind of building up their business. Because it seems like you've really made some some moves in your life so that you can align your choices to your values. And I'd love to yeah. dive into that And because I know it's not always easy to do so and there's challenges and there's successes and there's all sorts of emotions <laughs> that go along with that. So I would love to dive into that over the course of, of this next hour. So I hope you're game for that. Absolutely. Yay. So before we dive into all of that, can you please start us off by telling everyone just a little bit about yourself? I know that's a big question, but just go for it. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So I'm Teresa Vandermeer. I'm the founder of Work Shelter. Work Shelter is an ethical factory in India that employs women in need. Hmm. So we do cut and sew production. We make a lot of t-shirts and a lot of tote bags. But really, at the end of the day, it's about providing these women who haven't had many opportunities in their life 
to paid training and a consistent income. Mm. So that is my day job. You know, it was my side hustle for a lot of years, but yeah. seven and a half years in, Ooh. seven and a half years in, which is kind of wild since I'm in 33. So since yeah. my, my, my early mid twenties, this has been, this has been my passion project turned day job. Wow. Um, so, you know, so that's, that's my work. I would say, um, other important characteristics mm. or I guess other important um, things to share is that I'm a bit of a recovering workaholic. Mm. And so the path to becoming a full-time entrepreneur and an entrepreneur has balance has really been, has really been a process for me. Um, I'm also a bit of a wild child. So <laughs> I love, I love to just try new things and, you know, scuba diving, I've been skydiving and bungee jumping and it was, snowboarding and surfing and all of that fun stuff is awesome. is fun for me fun for me in my free time to blow off steam um and fundamentally I really believe that business can be a, a force for good mm. and for me I, I'm kind of like playing around with the the term the activist entrepreneur for myself Ooh, I love that. Being what if I can make the changes that I want to see the world through through business Ooh, I love that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking to myself, like, so seven and a half years, this was your passion project. So you mm. were you were working other jobs and building up work work shelter on the side. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, it was during it was during the recession when I really mm. so it was the 2008-2009 when I, recession when I graduated from college, and I knew that I wanted to work with this group of women that I had um, that I had done research with when I was in college and but I didn't know how to make that my day job and so like many young grads I went into the world and I was like well now I gotta pay my own rent I yeah. don't have student loans to live on anymore yeah. and um, you know relying on my parents is not an option um, so I ended up Starting somehow in the working world, I caught a break in in the private sector and then incubated this dream to really help these women that I had met in India and and started, um, I did initially start another business where I started sourcing items from India. Got it. um, Items that were made by women's groups or artisan cooperatives and women-owned businesses, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that eventually did turn into work shelter. Oh, you know what? That's funny because I was going to ask you if you had had other ventures before this, because I think, you know, (laughs) it's not always easy to land on because it's seven and a half years in and you're and you're and you're still going. So that's amazing. That's amazing. But I was curious. So you so you you did do something like you were sourcing first and now and you shifted how you did things and like which. Well, it actually. Yeah, it actually started earlier than that. Oh, wow. So. Um, when I was in middle school, I would crochet. I learned how to crochet. Wow. Right? So for people who don't know, crochet is like knitting, but it's with one needle and a hook. So I crocheted um, like blankets for beanie babies, like little sleeping, oh. oh my gosh, like little sleeping bag, sleeping bag, beanie baby, sleeping outfits. And I would sell those at school and then I would get projects from my classmates like somebody wanted their own scarf in this color and I would make it for them and <laughs> that's awesome you know earn, earn a little pocket money on the side yeah so, so yeah so I actually started with making items myself <gasps> during those days I am so glad you went there because that's something I always like to explore is like what were you like mm-hmm. as a young person and 
Like, what did you do for play? And because I'm I'm just so curious if what we do for play um, and the things we get absorbed into when we're younger, like, does that impact our our life journey? Um, And it sounds like like for you, that might be the case. Can you does that sound true to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, thinking that I was a maker myself Mm. and that it was a natural extension for me to start an organization where there are women making things. Yeah, that's definitely. Yeah. And I don't think I realized that until this moment while we're talking about it. Huh? Um, Yeah. I I know. It's kind of crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so neat. When I I reflect on my childhood and a lot of what I was doing was I'm I remember moments where, like, really precious moments where time would fly by Mm. when I was reading the newspaper outside. Mm. And so there was, like, the tactile and doing things with my hands, making stuff. There is the living in the country and growing up snowmobiling and snowboarding and and doing those sort of activities. And then there were the more more quiet moments. Mm. And... I have really, it's kind of a happy place for me to go back to when I think about those summer afternoons when I wasn't in school and I would take the long walk to the mailbox and get the newspaper Mm. and bring that back and sit outside and um, get like a piece of fruit and just call my cat. My cat would always be hunting in the fields and so I would call her in and so I would just like sit and read and yeah, hang out with my cat and, and have a snack and when I think about those times, I think about like why why was an eleven year old reading the newspaper? Like what what was that about to me? Yeah. And I, I think that one, I was just a curious person, and there was only so much to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. I guess you know, I was like making I guess making my own fun is is a better way to put it. Um, but I think that reading also inspired me to act, and it showed me that the world was a lot bigger than the world that I could necessarily see in front of my eyes Mm. and eventually I was catalyzed to act based on based on the curious and inspiring things that I was reading um and that that's how that's how I really ended up kind of breaking out of um like the sheltered existence that I that I had growing up Mm. where did you grow up Teresa so I grew up in rural Michigan. So okay. Outside of Grand Rapids, outside of Grand Rapids, on a dirt road with horses and cats and dogs oh, in the sounds... country next to a cornfield. So sounds beautiful. Pretty, pretty quaint, quaint childhood. It was beautiful. It was really lovely. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just picturing you, you know, sitting out there reading your newspaper. And like, are, are you like, what are the stories that you are drawn to the most? Do you remember? Like, what were you most curious about? Yeah, well, I got really excited about travel at a pretty young age. Mm, okay. So just reading about things happening overseas, and I had a really ambitious young Spanish teacher who decided that she wanted to bring a group of students to Peru mm. um, when I was in middle school. Wow. And so I got really I just got super motivated by that and I saved all my babysitting money for a year and year, year and a half. I did a bunch of fundraisers. I worked in my dad's, my dad had a, a tool and die shop. Cool. So basically an industrial like manufacturing setup. Mm-hmm. And I, I would work in his shop and make a little bit of, make a little bit of money here and there and eventually saved enough to, to take this trip to Peru when I was 13. And oh. it was that trip that really, really showed me okay this is 
the world is so much bigger than you ever, mm. ever imagined. And when I got back from Peru, my, my family and my community said, wow, you know, you're so lucky that you got to have that experience. What a, what a once in a lifetime experience. Uh-huh. And that terrified me. Yeah. That terrified me. The fact that I would never get to, you know, I, I felt like I just gotten a crack into what was possible in the world. And now everyone was telling me, close the doors. You're coming back here. Yes. You know, yeah. That's, that space out there is a privilege. That space out there is a luxury. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like people like us don't get to access that. Yeah. And I think that really became a, a motivator for me to to achieve and to work really hard to to try to try to see um, try to live a more expansive existence. Oh, I love that because you know you kind of have different choices there in that moment. It's like, oh yeah, you're right. That's that's the once in a lifetime experience. I won't get to experience no. that again, right? Or like, <laughs> wait a minute, no, I want more. I want to have mm-hmm. that expansive experience and realize what else is out there. I just got like a little taste now, and I want more. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, cool. So that was in middle school then. Did you mm-hmm. did you travel anymore? Like in high school, did you have opportunities or did you, when was, how did that travel bug continue for you? Yeah, I just got like crazy and jumped on any opportunity I could find. Mm. And so I cre- created some fun for myself. I took a road trip when I was, I don't know, in high school. I took a road trip to Chicago. I took a road trip to New York. And I still can't believe my parents let me get away with this. I was like, bye, I'm leaving. <laughs> and my friend and I were just two two kids trying to figure it out. Yeah. So I took those, those gymnastic trips. And then I had a teacher who was taking a group of students to, um, to I think, a group of biology students or some class that I was not in. But a beloved teacher of mine was taking a group of students down to Grenada. Oh, wow. Um, which is in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to go to pre-med camp. And that, going to pre-med camp, like, first of all, neither of my parents uh, had gone to college Mm -hmm. at that time, had gone to university, and the only people that I knew with university degrees were my teachers, Mm -hmm. and so the idea that I could become a doctor was pretty pretty laughable, um, given that I didn't even think that I would be able to get through college, Mm -hmm. you know, if no one else I knew had really made it through, how could I? Yeah, yeah. Um, But... But I had this teacher, and he said, we're going to Grenada, and um, we're going to work with cadavers, and you can learn more about medicine, and also there's going to be a scuba diving. There's going to be the chance to scuba dive. Wow. And I just asked. I just volunteered myself. I asked if I could come. (laughs) That's great. he, he, he let me, you know, he just, he gave me a chance, and I, Mm. again, started working while I was still, I was working at basically I've worked since a young age, but I was working in a restaurant and I saved all of that money to pay my way through this trip. And that was when I had this really, this second really transformative experience um, Mm. where, you know, working with the cadavers and I won, I think I won some award for being the best student of that trip. Mm. And still that wasn't enough to convince me that I could, could actually be a doctor. Yeah. Um, But like, I got to have this amazing experience down there. And then, and then I got to scuba dive, and that blew up my world again. Being underwater and seeing that, okay, not only is is there a, an on-land existence, but there is all of this life yeah. that exists in a parallel, in yeah. like a parallel universe. Um, and that really motivated me again 
But again, the desperation continued where I was like, okay, I've had this amazing trip and like that can't be the last one either. How do I do this? Yeah. And so when I finally did go to college and, you know, I applied to one school, the University of Michigan, okay. and they accepted me. Um, but when I finally got to the university, there were just opportunities everywhere. Mm. And I, I jumped on it. I worked like a crazy person and uh, was just trying to survive and trying to make it through. But but also was so, so excited to have these opportunities that were funded by the university to travel overseas. Um, and that's how I ended up going to India for the first time. Got it. What were you studying at, at University of Michigan? You know, since I didn't think that I would make it through and, and didn't have a lot of good guidance, yeah, um, I just took took classes that were interesting to me. Yep. And that resulted in me going to talk to a guidance counselor maybe maybe two years in. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, you're close to having a minor in anthropology, so oh. you may as well get a major. <laughs> um, so I ended up with a major in anthropology and then a minor in international affairs. Oh, cool. And international affairs was a, a minor that you constructed yourself. And for me, I studied uh, gender, Asia, and economics. Oh, all, all pretty central to, you know, not, not unrelated to what I'm doing today. Yeah, that's amazing. Wait, do you, okay, so do you think in some ways, was it a blessing maybe to not have, because I mean, would you have studied this if you think you had other people who were like, here's what you need to study in order to be successful? Mm. And, or was it an, an odd way? Because I actually relate to that so much. Like I, um, yeah, my parents also didn't go to you know, traditional college in the States. So I was the first one in my immediate family to go. And, and I, I, you know, I just kind of followed my interest <laughs> and mm, I'm not, I hadn't yeah. thought about it in the, in the respect is, was that, was that a benefit in some ways? I always thought of it maybe as a negative. <laughs> but, oh, that's a really, that's a really wonderful question. And you're, you're causing me to look at this differently. Yeah. I think for a lot of years, I, when I was working in the private sector and I felt like I wasn't making wasn't successfully making a positive impact Mm. in the way that I wanted to. I thought that, you know, if I had gone into medicine or something like that, I would, would have been able to be more useful. Ah. Um, But at the end of the day, like, you know, I do right now, we employ almost 40 women at our center in India and it, it feels like we can really expand that significantly. So now, now I really do feel like, okay, this was just the road that brought me to being able to make my impact in this way. Yeah. Cause it sounds mm-hmm. like, I mean, when I hear you describe it, it's like, wow, that sounds like what she's kind of working with right now, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. Ah. Mm-hmm. So as you're in university, you're getting all these new opportunities that you mentioned that were, you know, available to you. What were some of the ones that you kind of grabbed hold of that were really impactful on your development? back to those years is totally wild yeah so I started off in I started off in the residential college which is a small a small school within the broader university that is that encourages students to focus on on language and so I had classes that were in language that were actually in Spanish Um, but there was an emphasis there on on social justice and creativity so I started there and it's funny because the the residential college is right across from the business school. Okay. And now I am an actual business person. Yeah. But at the time, I felt so alienated by um, by the classes that I took a microeconomics class 
um, in the business school. And I remember being surrounded by students who, who wanted to, wanted to get into the business school and they were really motivated by making money. Mm -hmm. And I felt totally alienated by that. I was motivated by my values and, um, wanting to, wanting to see the world be more like the way that I thought it should be. Mm. And, um, the, the emphasis on feathering one's own nest and um, just like making, you know, acquiring as many resources as possible didn't resonate with me at all. Um, but yeah, it's funny now because I, I've considered doing my MBA and, and ah. now I'm actually, now I actually think about, you know, what, what benefits me when I'm trying to, to grow work shelter and mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, get to the next level so I started those early years at the residential college. The professors at the at that school took really good care of me. I think mm-hmm. I was I was probably a significant risk for drop dropping out. Um, I struggled a lot. I had to work while I was in college. My first year, I had one semester where I worked over thirty hours a week, Oof. and I was taking eighteen credit hours. Um, and I ended up in the hospital because I got sick, and I didn't take care of it. And mm. I'm just yeah, I ended up in the emergency room. Wow. So. So that, that was how everything got started. And then I transitioned to, um, to living at a, a vegan co-op. And so cooperative living appealed to me because it seemed like I would be able to access community. I was a vegetarian at the time. I'm a vegetarian now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I liked that it was democratically run. And I learned a lot from that experience. I ended up being on the board, but I also saw kind of like what can go wrong when you've got, a, I guess, like a bunch of young 20-somethings yeah. who are who are kind of like into radical living yeah. and, and like living life full force. So yeah. we had some overdose, an overdose in the home. Oh. We had a, a squatter who became violent and things got a little, a little crazy. Yeah. But it really, but, but living in the, that environment taught me how to, interact and try to I guess tr- like have to speak up for what I thought was right because mm. things were getting a little a little out of hand and then I had the opportunity to be on the board and so you know we've got a many many million dollar budget that I as a probably 20 year old had a chance to to weigh in on how it should be spent cool and then being surrounded by people who who took care of them or who were conscious about food and where food comes from and how to to feed oneself like that that was transformative yeah I was I was really just like I didn't know how to take care of myself at all I was just trying to trying to get by um so so it's been a a while since I've reflected on on that experience but that was pretty pretty formative as well the bridge from there was really towards applying for different grants and getting getting funded from the Center for South Asian Studies, from the residential college, from the um, anthropology department to actually go do work overseas. Wow. And then I started spending a significant amount of time um, specifically specifically in India. And that's that was the jumping off point for the work that I do now. That's so cool. I, and I can't help but think, because I'm I'm vegetarian as well, and I feel like for me, my process has been like, you know, learning more about where my food come, you know, comes from and um, discovering that. Um, 
And then the next step for me was thinking more about actually the clothes I wear. So and like where they Mm -hmm. come from. And I'm just curious Mm -hmm. if that was something similar to your journey at all or because that's that's a big part Mm -hmm. of your company is too as well. And I I would love to kind of learn learn more about that. I know we're not quite we're probably not quite there, but are you, you know, at this point, are you starting to, you're, you're in, you go to India and you're, mm-hmm. that, that's your first experience there, I suppose. Um, and what did you do? Like, what did you discover for yourself? I've never been, sure, sure. but I would love to hear about sure. it. Yeah. I would say that the, the like conscious, conscious consumer journey for me in terms of fashion mm-hmm. really followed, it followed meeting the women individually. Mm. So one of the first and like understanding how the work that they had impacted their existence. Mm. So it was more like individual labor rights, mm-hmm. um, awareness of these specific, um, of these specific women yeah. that catalyzed me to want to support their work. So one of the first women that I met was a woman named Poonam and Poonam, and this is, Many Putams in India, so yeah, she's you know this doesn't disclose her identity in any way. <laughs> um, but Poonam, Poonam was a seamstress, and she, I was touring different tailoring and embroidery centers, and they referred me to her, and I got to talk to her about her life, and she shared that she was in an abusive relationship, and her husband was burn her with cigarettes, and she showed us the burns, and. Mm that she had been raped repeatedly by them, by him. And she introduced me to her daughter who was a product of the rape. Mm. And she told me that when she finally decided that she wanted to leave him and she got a divorce, that she was outcast from her community. And there's this saying that I've heard in India. And it's, um, it's a woman that belongs to no man belongs to every man. Mm. And I'm not saying that everyone there believes that, but it's, it's a saying that definitely, you know, she, she experienced that. And, and so she explained to me that it was really her work and being a seamstress, which allowed her to, to cobble together a different kind of existence for herself. And I, I saw very clearly, wow. Okay. The way that, you know, this woman has, has shared this really, really vulnerable Mm -hmm. story with me and she's opened up what do I do with this information yeah. now that I have it? And I, I was tasked with writing a paper and giving a talk about what I learned, but mm. that what I learned in India, but that didn't really feel like, you know, that didn't yeah. feel sufficient or like I was doing justice to the, the story that she had, you know, so generously shared with me. Mm-hmm. And that, that was really where I first got the idea. Okay. You know, if I could, if there was more, if I could do something, I could, purchase items from her and women like her and I could sell the sell them in the US and I could send the money back and purchase more things and we could I could really be the market link. Wow. Okay. And 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 that's how that started. The conscious consumer journey came a bit later. I would say in the early years, you know, it's funny and I still get I get feedback from business advisors to this day where they're like, wait, you're trying to help these women and, you know, have an environmental ensure that your environmental impact is is mitigated at the same time oh that's like trying to boil the ocean oh my like gosh. you're trying to do too you're, you're trying to do too much yeah. by doing right in in a variable in like a multi multifaceted way huh. 
And and so in the early years of work shelter, I was like, get money in these women's hands. Yes. You know, buy the stuff that they're sell- buy the stuff that they're selling, send it back, just like do that, do that bigger. Mm-hmm. And I became aware over time, especially as the pollution in India got worse. Yeah. And I at this point I've spent about four and a half years of the last twelve in India. Oh wow. Usually usually two or three months at a at a time. Wow. Uh, but I, you know, as I kept returning, things got worse and worse and worse. And and um, there's a, a dead river not far from where we work. There's a coal plant not far from where we work. And in Delhi is one of the most polluted cities in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got increasing awareness, like, okay, this is really, I'm seeing that industrialization, et cetera, mm-hmm. is having a really, really terrible impact right in front of my eyes. And that kind of happened parallel process with um, Rana Plaza and what happened after Rana Plaza. Yeah, and you, that's you that's that's the uh, one that it burned. It did it burn down or it collapsed? The, the one um, it, it collapsed. Yeah, a, a factory, a cut and sew factory in Dhaka in Bangladesh collapsed, killing I think something over twelve hundred people. Yeah. and. Uh, and like brands like JC Penney were implicated, were implicated in in this, you know, in this disaster. And that was when I really I started to see the connection. I was like, okay, I'm I'm doing this work because I care about women's rights and labor rights and mm-hmm. poverty alleviation. And now I see like really how bad this can get. And then I've learned, you know, I've seen with my own eyes how terrible, you know, what we're what we're doing, what we collectively yeah. are doing to the environment. Mm-hmm. And it's time to live differently. It is time to live differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that time, the Gap had refused to really do anything meaningful to address the concerns that had been surfaced with the Rana Plaza factory collapse. Okay. And working in New York City, and this is when I had a full time job. Okay. I I had a platinum card. Makes me sound very fancy. I was, <laughs> you know, just was had kind of my like entry level job in New York. But yeah. I had all these business clothes, and my partner at the time had a a, a, a professional job too, where yeah. he also needed to wear nice things, and and so we we shopped at the Banana Republic, which is owned by the Gap. Yeah. And after Rana Plaza, I just, that's when I was like, oh my God, I got to actually live my values. Yeah. And so I cut up that card and I haven't looked back. Mm. But that was, that was really where it became full circle for me. Yeah. No, that's so interesting because it's just thinking back to the, you know, advisors or whatnot who are like, wait a minute, you're trying to do too much, um, and I know, mm-hmm. like, it's like, okay, priority number one is make sure these women have money in their hands so that they can live mm-hmm. a good life. But then, yeah, it sounds like you're kind of peeling away the onion in a sense and, like, continuing to to create positive change that aligns with, like, your values. Because, you know, it's like, unless we're treating the environment well, like, what kind of lives do we have? You know, even if we've got money in mm-hmm. our pockets, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, and it can feel like an overwhelming task because there's, I think we don't always realize the choices that we have available to us. You know what I mean? And it's like there's sure. gaps everywhere. There's, you know, um, uh, you know, those, they're, they're easy, more easily accessible sometimes. Hmm. But the more we can learn about other options, um, like what you're doing, and know about those as like, um, 
you know, where we can get certain products or it's, it's just benefits us, I feel like. So that's, it's, it's cool to hear that that's a piece of what you're doing. So, yeah. And what you, what you're saying about, um, I think, do you say something about how it's, it can be challenging? Yeah. Did, that, did I hear you say yes, that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I think about that and I think about when I felt really, really, um, I don't know, like I felt really conflicted and like nothing I could ever do was good enough. Mm-hmm. And I felt guilty about about my consumption practices mm-hmm. and I just and I know I've reached a place where I think that if we can if we can be better every day yeah that's really wonderful and that and I like to say that if we can just think about every you know like in terms of the things that we're buying or consuming mm-hmm. if every item that we buy or consume has one sort of qualifier and the qualifier can be it, the list of qualifiers can be up to you, but some qualifiers I think about are maybe it's a woman-owned business, maybe it's a minority-owned business, right? Maybe it's recycled, maybe it's upcycled, maybe it's an item that um, that you have and you're just going to remake it. Yeah. Maybe you got it at a um, at a clothing swap or a thrift store or or it's organic or it's fair trade or you know, like there's just or it's a B Corp. B Corp. Right. I'm really excited about the B Corp space. And so, you know, it, it can be, you can cr- create that list for yourself. But to me, that's like, okay, I've got a framework. I've got some structure around yeah. this. And that targets, um, targets, it provides some direction for moving ahead. And you can always improve from there, but that's a really wonderful place to start. Yeah, I love that. Because it's like the more you learn about, you know, different places and, and like you can use that framework to be like, oh, yeah, they fit you know, the things that I value and I can support that company and be providing myself with things that bring me joy or, you know, serve a purpose or whatever the case may be. So that's, yeah, I love that. Totally, totally. Something that I purchased um, recently was a table that was made by artisans in Syria. And I, I met these artisans at a craft show in India and I felt really wonderful being able to make a purchase that helped free and create in its in its tiny micro way helps create a normal economy there you know we're talking about a failed state with ubiquitous violence right and so the fact that i can make one small one small contribution to to helping someone have a more normal life is um is really wonderful so you can think you know you can think creatively about your impact Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I'm going back to like your business in my brain right now, and I'm just thinking to myself, getting this off of the ground. <laughs> oh, oh God, don't remind me. Yeah, no. Flashbacks, trauma, trauma, flashbacks. <laughs> how, how how challenging was? Because not only yeah, I mean, were you living there at the time? I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, and just navigating another country and mm-hmm. being young and yeah, just can you can you tell me and maybe hearing no a lot. Um, I'm just guessing. I don't know. But how did you stay persistent? And um, can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Sure. So I could say that in the very early years, I didn't have a lot of support. Yeah. And most everyone said to me, you know, you're too young, a young white American woman in India. Bad idea. Yeah. You know, like you don't have the skills or ability to, to actually make this happen. Um, and then there was, of course, the criticism, not of course, but there was 
I mean, actually, it was surprising to me at the time. There were people who said, well, these these women don't want to work. Poor people in India don't want to work. They're, you know, they, and that's reminiscent of vernacular that you hear when it comes to minorities in the United States. Absolutely. It is totally not true. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was discouragement. There was discouragement. And, you know, some of it was true. Like, talking about my skills, I did not have... (laughs) A lot of it, I, I developed a lot of the skills, but I surely did not, had not run a successful business operating a, a multinational small business. It was definitely not within the skill set that I graduated from college with. <laughs> um, yeah, like I was just, I was, I was even new to the working world. Right. And, and I was just trying to survive myself making a, a very humble salary, trying to pay my student loans, like living, I had moved to New York City, yeah. living in New York City. Right. And so it was especially hard because it was like, I'm just trying to personally survive. Yeah. And then I'm trying to create this like somewhat complicated, you know, it's like, okay, is a cut and sew factory that complicated? Well, when you add, when you start to compound um, the the like need for money to actually fund it. Yeah. When you think about um, creating legal structures overseas, mm-hmm. learning how to export, learning how to import, yeah. navigating like supply chain logistics, actually training a workforce yeah. that really hasn't had a lot of formal work experience outside of like agricultural, um, like manual labor activities. So, mm-hmm. you know, getting a workforce to like come to work on time and, navigating how to manage an entire operational setup from overseas because I was I did go to India regularly but I wasn't based in India yeah I was based in the United States and so you know start part of like showing compassion for myself now when Mm. I think wow there's only 40 I like I sometimes get frustrated I had this dream I was going to help thousands of women and (sighs) it was going to be all over the world and and so when I think about that it original dream and I think about where I am now sometimes Mm. uh, sometimes I I feel like okay I haven't you know I'm absolutely helping the women who are employed at work shelter Mm -hmm. and I know that to be true I know that to be true Um, but given that the initial vision was so much bigger sometimes I feel okay like I'm not making as much of an impact as I want to right but when I think about the learning curve And just going back to navigating that pretty much on my own. And what happened is people were so, people broadly encouraging, including my partner at the time, including my family. Um, but people were so discouraging in the early days mm. that I really stopped talking to people about what I was doing. And that resulted in a lack of good mentorship and a lack of having advisory support Mm. I turned inward and it was like I'm just going to do this on my own and I had a couple key supporters and I want to call them out by name because they just you know Jarell Van Oss Namita Cruel and then on the side Allison Dykeisen these people like were my my cohort of of cheerleaders from the very beginning and I basically only talked to them Mm. um and I had a, a really close friend, Kavita Subberwal, who who did help me in India, but but she, I think she helped me because she just thought that I was I was already committed. And she's like, oh man, this girl is not going to make it if I don't like, pitch in. You know, I don't think she should do this, but I guess I'll, I'll help her now that she's here. Right. Um, so, but besides those individuals, it was so 
it was really, really closed. Um, And now, now I have many an advisor who I, who like I trust and, you know, and I, I look to different people for, for different advice. And now I've developed, I've developed the intuition to, you know, follow what advice I think makes sense. Um, but, but also, yeah, I'm not really like in the early days I, I was really, I would get upset when I heard this discouraging mm-hmm. feedback yeah. you know, that you wouldn't be able to do this. And now I think of it differently. Now I just think that, you know, I have a special skill to be able to see the unseen, mm. to be able to see that this organization does not exist what it could or that this work hasn't been, isn't happening now, but, but I, it can happen. Mm. And that I, just because I don't know what steps B, C, and D are don't mean that I, I don't have awareness of how A can get to E. You know, yeah. like I'll, I'll figure, figure that out. And so now I think that when, you know, people tell me, oh, that's not possible or you won't be able to do it. I just think, you know, it's okay. Like I just it, like forgive them implicitly that they don't have the same vision that I have. <sighs> and it's not, it's not personal anymore. Uh, and that's been really helpful. I love that. I love that. Like, cause that is such a, that's such a strength really to be able to see to be able to see the unseen. And I'm actually thinking my something my boyfriend always brings up now is something, I hope I get the right term of it. I think it's called the Overton um, frame or something or other. And it's basically like, hmm. we can only see what we know but like, you know, mm-hmm. like, we, we, like, for example, like women and women being able to vote, like there was a period of time where that just sort of seemed outlandish, you know? Right? And mm-hmm. so unless we can kind of like, you know, be able to see outside of that frame, um, how do we create change? So I think it's really, it's a beautiful thing to hear you describe that and, and to think of it as a skill, you know, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, it's a gut check. It's like somebody landed on the moon 50 years ago, folks. <laughs> right, right. You know, before, before there was color TV that happened. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And so, and so whenever I'm like quietly like, okay, are they right that this is not possible? I'm like, wait, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm like, you know, like yeah. that, that's totally wild, right? Totally. Like me starting... <laughs> Uh, like me renting a space and getting some ladies to come and like making some t-shirts as cool as they are like right. not not comfortable <laughs> to landing on the moon so I think we're gonna be okay <laughs> that's awesome like but I'm picturing you too like hearing maybe like you know maybe not having a ton of people that you can go to and living in New York paying off your student loans trying to start this business mm-hmm. and like how did and you mentioned you were a workaholic or you would identify as a at least a recovering workaholic I hope um how did you how did you take care of yourself or were you not taking care of yourself in those days? Was that something that you had learned from that one experience in college where you ended up I, I believe you said you ended up in the hospital. Um, did, were you able to like make changes slowly over time to take care of yourself and like what would that look like for you? That's a great question and I, I keep it's a it's a lesson I'm still trying to learn yeah. and I think I'm, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it, but the the roots of of that come are pretty deep, mm-hmm, and sure. they come from from a place of like one trying to survive and really like desperately working to survive and desperately working to, like I said earlier, live a more expansive life. Mm-hmm. But they also come from the the positive reinforcement that I got to exhibit unhealthy habits. Yep, and you know, my dad is my dad is. You know, he's a very loving person, mm-hmm. and you know he's a he's a huge supporter of mine. 
But something that he said to me that um, very often when I was young to encourage me and to, you know, to tell me that I was doing well, he would say, you are a machine. Mm. You're so strong. It's like you're a machine. Yeah. And like, I'm not a machine. I'm a, I'm a human <laughs> being. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I, I can break, break like a machine, but you can't just like, you know, it's not like you fix a couple of screws and we're all ball, all back in good shape again. Yeah. And so that sort of like compulsion to, um, to like be better and to achieve and like kind of like frantically do that has, it definitely, it got me through college, but it also, mm-hmm. it cost me dearly. Yeah. And I saw that manifest in a really big way again during the um, later years of living in New York City. And I now mm-hmm. live in Chicago. Um, but at that time, I was in a, a long-term romantic partnership with someone who did not support work shelter. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, they wanted to um, just focus on feathering there in in our own shared nest at the time Mm -hmm. and I just didn't care enough about doing that really wanted to uh, my passion was supporting these women in India and so I was going through a breakup I think after a seven-year relationship Mm. and so this is someone I was with for almost all of my 20s yeah and then um, I was working a full-time job in the private sector in New York City and so this is not a nine-to-five this is not a nine-to-six this is like nine to seven if we're lucky Mm -hmm. but you know I had often worked nine to nine yeah and so that was happening and then I was running work shelter on the side so that was my side hustle you know navigating operating this like multinational small business yeah from during my spare hours and then on top of that I was applying to business schools yeah and that meant studying for the GMAT and taking a course to get a better a better score and, and doing these applications. Um, and I ended up not going to business school, but at the time I was working really hard and I, I was, I ended up being invited to interview at NYU and Duke. Awesome. Um, so it means that I was just like, you know, crazy focus on achievement mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. And what happened, what happened was I started having what, um, what at that time were thought to be seizures. Oh, gosh. And notably on the way home or on the way to work one Monday morning, talking to my partner at the time about work shelter and his response being like, well, what are you even doing with this? Like, mm. what's the whole point of this? Yeah. And just being on my way to work and and I passed out on the train and woke up outside of it. Oh. And um, I went to have my brain studied. Yeah. And what I found out was that I was having anxiety attacks. Wow. And that was that was good news, given that I thought that I had, you know, like, a, um, I know that that's not serious, but right. um, it meant that there were things that I were within my control that I could do yes. to, to change the situation. And so that was the next wake up call. Yeah. Like, okay, this is, this cannot go on. Um, this cannot go on. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm now, you know, like I have, I know, right? And, and, and now I'm still like, I still go through periods where I think like, okay, what's the big deal if I work seven days a week for Mm -hmm. a few weeks in a row? Like I love my work. So I love my work and it's fine. And I go to yoga and I meditate, (laughs) like no worries. And then I notice, ah, it's creeping up on me again. This, This feeling of exhaustion or this, 
um, this just a, like unhappiness or irritability mm-hmm. or just brain fog, you know, like yeah. what is this? And so those, those, those are cues now. Yeah. And I know where that road goes. I know where that road goes. And so I know that I've got to change my path when I start to, to, to experience those, um, yeah. Now, those feelings again. So important because I think awareness is like it's just huge, right? Especially I think mm-hmm. um you know, independent hard workers, it's like ingrained in our society and in so many ways it's like wonderful, but um and it can allow us to achieve many things, but there's also that kind of dark side of it, you know? And so mm-hmm. keeping ourselves in a a place especially when it's your own business and it's something you love and you're passionate about um, you know, it's, it's, it can be hard. It can be hard to navigate that I think often. So thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Like what do you, Absolutely. yoga you mentioned, what are some other kind of strategies that you've developed for yourself? I, you, you catch those little triggers for yourself and you check in, but are there like self-care practices or, um, things that you do regularly for yourself? Sure. There's, I mean, the yoga and the meditation cannot be understated. Yeah. Um, I probably practice yoga. I practice yoga a little less now that I meditate, but I meditate daily for sure. Mm. Sometimes up to three times a day. And and now it's like, should I watch a movie or should I meditate? And I'll want to meditate. It's like, <laughs> That's awesome. It's, it's like it feels better when I do it. And yeah. so it's this, you know, this reinforcing cycle where I want to do things that are healthy because they feel good for me. And I feel so thankful to have discovered these activities that really like do make make a make me feel better yeah. and make me happier. So there's the yoga a few times a week, you know, sometimes up to five times a week. There's the meditation that's daily. And then I have like just my own little Teresa hacks. Ah. And they're just they're just small things, but I've got um, I use the happiness planner. Whenever Aww. I'm really getting grumpy, it's like, all right, I'm getting grumpy. Like, I need to start my day with this. I'm noticing that I need to revisit what I'm grateful for. I need to notice what is, um, like, what's bringing the negativity into my life. Mm-hmm. There's that. Um, I've got this cute little book called the Monthly Manifestation Manual that I got at my local bookstore, Aww. Women and Children First, in Andersonville. So it's got yes. exercises that I just flip through and think, like, okay, well, what exercise could help me kind of um, like reflect on what I'm doing now and reflect mm. on what I, you know, like bring me, bring me back into the present. Um, I like to watch Chef's Table. Have you ever seen <gasps> yes, that? Yes, we, we watch that one too. It's like beautiful cinematography and like, it's so relaxing. <laughs> yeah, but it's also the story of these totally crazy people. Yes, it's so true. They were super passionate. It's not about, it's like, okay, yeah, it's about the food, but it's really about the person making yes. the food. Yes, oh, I love And their stories. narrative and what inspires them and like how they, you know, like how they are living their dream. And so I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I, yeah. I watch that show when I feel like I need, I need some inspiration. That's, that's such so, a good idea. <laughs> love that. <laughs> Yeah, so those those are three really like accessible like yeah. micro micro inspiring activities that I can do regularly. So cool. Mm-hmm. So one of the things like I like to uh, you know invite people on the podcast that I know are just growth minded and are discovering and learning new things for themselves, whether it's related to the business or the work that they do. But like, mm-hmm. what would you say for you that you are? learning and discovering right now in your life? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to go from, from like 
surviving to thriving. Mm. And part of that is by really deeply evaluating my, um, my work habits. And I've noticed that I get to the edge of my, my basic, like basically my brain capacity almost every single day. And sometimes that happens really early. And it's, and I ask myself, you know, how am I tired at one or 2 PM? And I've got, I, I'm, you know, I'm not that that part of my entrepreneurial life where I can just say, oh, I worked this <laughs> right. morning and now it's time to go have my, my four-hour work day, much yeah. less my four-hour work week. You know, so I, I need to have, I need to be more productive. And um, I'm working with a coach on doing that. Oh, cool. And so um, it's my friend's company. It's called Hello Duetto. But we're going through an eight-week program together, just one-on-one, where I track what isn't you know like I well first we've identified my big challenges mm-hmm. and the things that I want to change in my life sooner rather than later um, and then we focus on actually implementing those changes and so this is just a an initial takeaway but I've discovered that the big problem solving questions that are really central to um, having like effectively effectively living out the big vision that I have for work shelter requires a lot of brain energy. Yeah. And so if I do those meetings during the beginning of the day, then I don't have energy to, then everything feels exhausting. <sighs> Even this email that's supposed to take five minutes, yeah. I get to 2 PM and it's like, I can't possibly do anything else. But what I've noticed is that if I front load the day with all of these small activities, I get to 4 p.m. and I still feel good. Yeah. And so 4 p.m. I can I can have one of these meetings and it's like okay, well I'm I'm ready to um, I I've accomplished what I really want to accomplish for the day, and now I can put brain energy towards this. And then when it's done, I go to yoga and I I plan to unwind my evening and it's seven or eight o'clock and it's time to unwind anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so just evaluating my habits more deeply. That's huge. Mm -hmm. I I think that's that's a great one to share. And I love that you're working with someone who's kind of like talking, like, you know, helping kind of um, probably talk you through the different changes that you're making and seeing what's working and what's not. Maybe I'm just imagining Mm -hmm. that's how that works. Yeah, and she holds me accountable too. She's like, and we do some things where I'm like, well, do we really have to do this? And she's like, yes, we really have to do this. <laughs> um, it's, I, have a, I have a pretty regular habit or practice of reflecting on what I'm grateful for. Yeah. But the second thing that we do is she she asks me um, what I'm proud of. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm proud that I made work shelter. And she's like, well, you did that last week. So you need something. What else? What are you proud yeah. of you last week? I'm like, and I always find myself being like, why do we have to do this? But <laughs> And she said, yeah, and, and we do it every week, and I know that yeah. it's, it's good for me to to reflect on um, to reflect on what I believe that I'm making progress towards yeah. and what I am proud of. So, oh, mm-hmm. so good because I feel like there's just something so grounding yeah. about that. Like it just returns you to you in a sense, you know. And like, because it sounds like a lot of the work you're doing is you're thinking about others, you're trying to make all this positive change. Absolutely, but taking that time to be like. All right, let's like fill like you know my vessel up here first and mm-hmm. reconnect. Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. Yay! Yeah, and and thinking about that continuum of starting at A and going to E. Yep. And seeing, okay, well maybe we're on C one and a half. Yeah. You know, like where even even if it's you know like 
moving the needle forward happens, can happen in these micro improvements. And when you look back, you might not even notice that you're growing. So the act of looking back and saying, you know, I made progress in this way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be for my business. It might be with my relationships or, I mean, that's really important too, right? Right, 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 right. Oh, Mm -hmm. so good. Um, I would love to know, I'll just kind of wrap up maybe on this question, but how can like how can people find you and how can we support you in your in your journey? Oh my gosh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. So if if there's one thing remember, organic t shirts, organic tote bags customized with your brand's logo or your saying, that is a huge I mean, that's just our that's the way that we keep the women working and that's mm. the way that we keep adding women. So when we hire new women at the center in India, many of them don't learn how to sew. And so one of the first things that they learn how to make is a tote bag. Ah. And so, you know, you can find us at workshelter.co. You can find us workshelter on Instagram. I'm the activist entrepreneur. But um, just participating in the broader workshelter community and, and even supporting our clients. You know, so we work with many amazing businesses and nonprofits mm. in the U.S., Canada, and different different parts of the world. So, if you're thinking about trying to become a more ethical consumer, looking to the clients that we sell to is a great way to to support us indirectly. Ah, that's such a good point, and I'll be sharing the links to your website and your social media accounts. Um, on on in the show links so we'll have access to that so if anyone's looking for that information they could go to the show links to find it and i love what you just said that's so cool because i hadn't thought about that but the people you are supplying mm-hmm. um products to supporting those businesses is a great way to support mm-hmm. yeah so important absolutely uh, well Teresa, thank, thank you, you thank so you. so much for taking the time to, to join me on the becoming aligned podcast your story is so cool to hear and I know it's like everything's always just an evolution you know and um, I love that you just had the courage and the persistence to take a step forward especially like when it's things that you just don't see you know what I mean and like believing Mm -hmm. in your vision and I just I find it so inspiring so thank you so much for joining me today and telling me a little bit about your story I I just really enjoyed our time our conversation I've also enjoyed it it's I'm I'm really grateful that we got to have this time together and I I very much appreciate having the space to to reflect on my journey and mm-hmm. you know it it's really it's um it's just so heartwarming to be able to have even a connection with you in this conversation right now mm-hmm. about the work that means so much to me so I'm very appreciative Aww, thank you thanks Teresa I don't know about you, but I'm already dreaming of totes, t-shirts, and gifts that I can have made at Work Shelter. I so enjoy chatting with Teresa and want to support her vision and mission. It's so inspiring to meet someone who really goes after and stays focused on her dreams. As someone who aspires to be a conscious consumer yet fails regularly, I also really appreciated her helpful thoughts on having a set of personal qualifiers when she's making decisions on what to purchase and what not to purchase found that really helpful. And I appreciated her honesty and her openness to sharing the effects of her work habits and how she is consciously trying to go from surviving to thriving. I love that. What about you? What did you find yourself thinking about and reflecting on after listening to this episode? Please share on my website, MaureenRyan.co, or on my Instagram page, Maureen underscore Ryan underscore. 
And if you haven't already, join the Becoming Aligned private Facebook community, where we'll keep the conversation going and dive into how we can stay true to our path and our own personal journey, even when it's really scary to do so. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Becoming Aligned. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Becoming Aligned. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Becoming Aligned and rate and review this podcast. I'm Maureen Ryan, and I hope you'll join us next time. Take care.